This is where the industry insiders come to play. The download on the download, movers and shakers off the course, and the pros inside the ropes. Welcome to Slice with Brian Bushlag. Well, certainly one of the most unique and inspiring stories in golf right now isn't happening on the course. It's happening in a wood shop in the small Oregon town of Grants Pass. That's where a brilliant young man and his team of craftsmen are transforming blocks of wood into works of art with function, purpose, and in many cases, an emotional connection. You know, golf is a very personal game. We all know that. Everybody has their favorite clubs, clothing, shoes, and that putter. Or putters, plural. (laughs) Brad Converse and his Bradley putters are attracting those players Some are purists. Others appreciate the artistry. Everyone, though, enjoys the gorgeous playability of these wood putters. They are really something. And back in January, I connected with Brad in Orlando to get his story and test out these works of art. Brad, thanks for joining us. Here we are at the PGA Show. It's been quite an evolution for you over the last decade. Go back, though, to growing up in Grants Pass. What was that like? I, you know, it's, it's my hometown. It's all I know. You know I've traveled the world, but for some reason, Grants Pass just always pulls me back. It's, it's the friends. It's the family. It's the fact that I walk down the street and I see three different people I know driving by, waving. You know, it's kind of the, the Andy Griffith type feel. And so when I was looking to start a business and do something with my life, I, I knew that, yeah, there's opportunities in San Francisco and other places. But when I need a loan, I know exactly, like, I'm going to call up Chris. Like, when I need something made for me out of, like, steal or whatever, I, I know exactly who I'm going to call and that job is going to be done for me quickly because I know them personally. So it's just, it's such a small town feel. My, my family's been there for, I don't know, we're going on like a hundred years now. And so the Converse name means something and it's, you know, I'll, I'll talk to somebody and we'll, uh, we'll be chatting. And at the end of the conversation, like, Hey, are you related to Dan? Like, yeah, it's actually my dad. Like, Oh, he's such a good, he's done so much for me, this and that. And so just having that name has meant so much to, to what I've been able to do and and it, you know it's it's a, a big responsibility but I I wouldn't have that even one town over. So when you were growing up you weren't like saying to yourself, "Hey, I want to grow up and make really cool wood putters," right? I mean, what do you want what do you want to be when you grow up? I probably wanted to play baseball, you know, be a be a professional baseball player, stand in front of the TV and like swing my swing my bat as the pitches are coming in. No, um pretty early on I wanted to uh, do engineering. That was my passion i loved you know building stuff i always loved math uh, you know did really well in school and all that and so i just wanted to create things i love creating things and by things i mean very broadly like whether i'm creating code whether i'm working on analyzing some big structure like i love making things with my hands and with my brain and so yeah it, it was always uh, it was a great place to do that i was you know build bike jumps in the back of my property you know i was whittling like I got scars all over my body from whittling things uh, when I was like five in front of the TV. Yeah, it, it was a place that my mind could just be creative and just have a really you know, simple childhood. Okay, so then you, uh, how do you, how do you get this gig where you're this nuclear stuff? I mean, tell me about that. 
Yeah, that was, again, one of those just grace of God things. I, um, again, I, I did really well in school, and one of my friends knew that I just wanted to do engineering stuff. I loved that kind of thing. And she was at a dinner party with her mom, who was good friends with Patricia, and Patricia's husband, Paul, has a PhD from MIT in material science. And he was talking about how he wanted to intern, you know, wanted to mentor somebody. And my friend Sarah was like, hey, you should talk to Brad Converse. And so uh, a week later, went over and had my family over there, went to this guy's house, super eccentric, just brilliant guy. It's actually funny. He had this implant that, you know, replaces the parts of your eye so you can focus better. And he had a larger one and he was showing us and he had given us coffee. And my dad is holding that in his hands and fumbles it and drops this like prototype straight in the coffee. So yeah, he's like burning his hands trying to pull the thing out of there. Like I'll never let him forget that. But somehow I still managed to get a job with him. And so that was literally right out of high school. A week after I graduated high school, I started working for, for this guy that is you know a verifiable genius engineer guy and i was working on everything from building parts for ships so that they would if a nuclear blast were to land right next to the the ship that it, it wouldn't vibrate apart it would it would continue functioning did you know i had all sorts of clearances i i would be given problems and they would just say solve it good luck we don't know how you're going to do it this is right out of high school yeah not college right out of high school right Right out of high school. So, I mean, he, I had a lot of freedom to just figure things out during there. I uh, went to Oregon State for mechanical engineering right away. So, it was cool going to school and seeing the things that I'm like, I'm working on these projects, but you know, I, I used a lot of the stuff that I knew from work on projects for school and, and vice versa. And so, it gave me a real practical understanding of this is why I'm learning what I'm learning and this is how I'm going to apply it. Are you sitting there in class, though, with everything you know about what you know? From a genius and, I mean, Sandy, looking at the prof going, nah, I don't know if that's right. I mean, you know, I didn't want to get too big of a head, but it was it was more like, you know, my, my other uh, the other peers were working on getting internships at, you know, cute little knife companies and things. And I was like, that was great. I was doing really high level, like, clearance type stuff very early on. And so seeing how, you know, for better or worse, how the government works, how that, that back end does some stuff really well and bloats other things. I, I got a real good understanding of bloat and how, how nimble you can be and what happens when you're not. Interesting. So uh, how long are you in this role? And talk about how that evolved. I mean, was this something you, when you're doing this, you think, oh, I'm going to do this the rest of my life? Or did you all, always have something in the back of your mind that you, you wanted to do? Well, I got my entrepreneurship minor in college as well. So I always knew that, again, I love problem solving. I didn't want to just crunch numbers forever and you know, solve other people's problems. I wanted to start solving my own. And so a year or two after college, my mentor, boss, he moved on and I took his position and I started working on, I was solving a lot of other people's problems and there were some big problems. Like they were things that were not fun to work on. It's like, this wouldn't be a problem if we just did it right the first time. It's not like a new problem that is novel and special and exciting. It's why'd you guys mess this up? And so it just, it became frustrating having to deal with that. And then when we want to fix it, well, now there's 15 different layers we have to go through to do a change order to make this thing right. It was frustrating. And so that was from, you know, I graduated high school in 06, graduated college in 10, 11, and then 
I worked until let's see, 2016, November of 2016, doing you know I was traveling to Virginia all the time because that's where headquarters was. I mean, I would leave Sunday night, take a red eye, get there, work all week, and then take a, a late flight back on Friday, or I'd be there for two weeks. I did one where I know I just my uh, daughter was just born and they needed to. I need to do a training. And so I left Sunday night at like 9 p.m., got there Monday morning at 7 a.m., flew back out Monday night at 5 p.m., and got home at midnight. So, yeah, it was it was brutal. But it was a great, I mean, great learning experience. Learned a lot about what to do, what not to do. But then in uh, November of 2016, I was told, you know, the, the company's changing directions. Either, like, you know, we don't have a position for you out in Oregon anymore. You're going to have to go to Virginia if you want to keep on. But I kind of knew where the trajectory of the business was going. And I decided that was the best time to, to make a split. And we are glad it worked out that way. Or we obviously would not have Bradley Putters today. Up next, Brad shares how quickly this whole thing came together you got to hear this. It's pretty amazing. And a reminder, coming up next week on Slice, we'll welcome Short Par 4 CEO Bobby DeMeo to the show. And in the meantime, get free shipping on your first custom curated box of apparel at shortpar4.com. He's number one in foot wedge accuracy and ball drop consistency. Brian Bushlack is back with Slice. And continuing our conversation with Brad Converse, the genius behind Bradley Putters. You know, most people who are launching a business, they spend months or years putting together a business plan, raising money, and hoping it'll happen. Well, I like the Brad Converse business plan. It's called Getting After It. This putter thing, it sounds to me like this came together pretty quickly. I mean, uh, from what you've told me and what I've read, this wasn't some long, drawn-out business plan and let's think about this and let's go get investors. This was, hey, let's just get after it, right? That's exactly it. I'd read a lot of books on the minimum viable product and fail fast and just get out there quickly. So I looked around for about two weeks to figure out what I want to do. I talked to my mentors, like, do I start a business? Do I just go become a manager somewhere? What do I do? And like, this is the best time. You're 28. It's the best time of your life to start a business. You've learned enough to at least not fail instantly and you can try something out. So on Black Friday, 2016, I saw a wooden drum and I was at this real mother goose store in Portland. And I'm like, that's a cool looking drum. And I just, Lord gave me a vision of picturing a golf ball dropping on it. I'm like, oh, what if you made a wooden putter that made a cool sound and you hit it, kind of like a drum? I thought that was a cool idea. So I got that idea on Friday. On Saturday, I built a landing page, website. On Sunday, I built my designs. I did my engineering designs. On Monday, I I went on Facebook, said, hey, who's got a wood shop I can do this in? And made my first putter. On Tuesday, found another wood shop to do some different stuff, made the second putter. I was pouring lead in my backyard. Like I was melting lead from my fishing kits and pouring it into, it was very dangerous, but it was a lot of fun. So Wednesday I went to a a pawn shop and I bought two putters for like 10 bucks and sawed off the shafts and glued them in place. And on Thursday I had them out on the course and people were trying them. The first one was terrible. The second one was actually really good. And people like, this is actually solid. I documented everything on Instagram. So from the very first picture, you can go on my Instagram way back to the beginning. You'll see a pick an olive burl and it's me saying, I'm going to turn this into a putter. Let's you know, follow me. Let's see what happens. And uh, I've got a lot of people following really quick. And a week and a half later, I got invited by the Putski company to share a booth at the PGA show in you know 
third, fourth week in January. And I had started the company December 5th officially. So it was a lot of 20 hour days. You know, I'd, I'd be starting work at seven, eight, going in my garage, working on stuff. You know, by that point I'd built a little shop in my garage and then work until three in the morning, getting stuff ready. Uh, you know, not really knowing exactly what I needed to work on, but just knowing I needed to like make putters. I needed to come up with designs. I needed to collaborate with people. I needed to build a booth, all that, and, you know, had a 10 by 10 booth. It, it was nuts. So I got uh, invited to the PGA show. And so you know, January 22nd or whatever, I'm in Orlando with my wife and a guy that's helping me with some marketing and he, who knows nothing about golf. We had John Daly stop by the booth. I wasn't there and he didn't know who he was until we we're walking by a poster and he's like, hey, that guy stopped by the booth. I'm like, that was John Daly. Come on. Uh, that was frustrating. I've had a lot of cool people stop by the booth and I'm never there for it. So it's nice not having a booth this year and I can just go meet them. Yeah. Anyways. So yeah, I, I met some really cool people. Guy, Sean Zach talked to him for a half hour just you know he was giving me the time of day so i was explaining what i was doing and at the end of it, he's like this is really cool i'm gonna write about this like what do you mean you're gonna write about this he's like oh dude I'm, I'm sports illustrated like whoa okay and so the next day my dad calls me up like hey have you been on golf.com recently i'm like no he's like look it up and so it had the 2017 best products from the pga show and so i mean if you just google 2017 best products pga show you get golf.com article and the very first company in that is bradley butters literally a few weeks after you started this yeah, that was like 63 days after I had the idea. Not like I was cooking it for two years. It was like 63 days after the very first idea I was voted. You know, it was golf.com was saying I was the coolest product at the show. Well, rightfully so. So tell us the golf thing here. I mean, obviously you had a little bit of interest in the sport. I mean, you said, ah, maybe I want to be a baseball player when I grew up. But, you know, you had to have had some DNA, at least in your running through you for golf, right? Yeah. I mean, my dad and I used to go bowling when I was real young. And then we switched over to golf because it would just be more fun and uh, you know exciting. And so I played golf pretty religiously for a large portion of my younger years. One summer, I played golf every day for six hours a day. I just, I, I bought a little membership at this little like par three course and I just would go out there every day and play with whoever I could, meet cool people. And then my senior year, you know, I was going to play baseball, but I got shin splints so bad that, like, you could see them on x-rays. So I decided, you know, I'm just not cut out for running. <laughs> I uh, golf's a little bit safer. So I played golf my senior year and then came back and coached at the, the high school level for a couple years. And it's just always been, I love the challenge of it. Anything that is difficult, I love. Like, I don't want to do easy stuff. And as soon as I get good at something, I'm on to the next thing. But there's no getting good at golf. That's what's fun. Like, it's everything is, you know, there's always a challenge to be had. So, yeah, golf's always been the passion there. Uh, the woodworking side of things, my dad, he built these really cool boxes that, you know, really, he did a lot of woodworking as a kid, too. So, I always saw that aspect of it, kind of had his own little side small business doing that. So, yeah, all these things kind of molded me into the direction of this company. It's, you know, I, I'll tell people often, I'm there's no one else that could have started this company because, like, Lord put so many different things in my life that just made sense. And there's no, like, there's very few other companies I would be able to start because this is just, it fits who I am, what I do, what I'm passionate about. And it, it just kind of made sense. And the, the process, this isn't, I want to, you know, for people who aren't familiar with what you do or haven't already Googled this on their smartphone while they're listening to this, you're not just chopping off a block of wood and sticking a, a shaft in it. I mean, this is a pretty amazing process, right? Well, we've actually done that because people often think it is that. And I will give them this putter. Like, they'll, they'll put with a normal putter, like one of my putters first. Then they're like, oh, yeah, that, you know, that's pretty good. I'm like, okay, now feel this one. And every time they pick it up, they giggle. It's instant joy because it's so light and you can just wiggle it around. It's a two-by-four on the end of a stick. It looks like one of my putters, but it, it's just so light. So there's a long process. We have to – and we can do this with any piece of wood we've taken – 
wood from country clubs, like from people's backyards, from their old barns, you name it. Baseball bat, Russell Wilson's baseball bat. We turned that into a putter. And so we stabilize the wood. That means we dry it completely. And then we in- infuse it with a chemical that essentially turns it into like petrified wood, but chemically and like, you know, overnight. And then what we do is we have to measure the density of every block. So we, you know, get the volume of it, get the weight of it, calculate density. Because each one's a little bit different. The hardnesses are very similar, but the densities will change a little bit just depending on the wood and how well it stabilizes. And then what we do is we have up to eight individual weights that you know are weighed by hand. Like we know down to the gram what they weigh. We hand pour them ourselves. Like we have a we have special angles on them and everything. We know the volume of wood that is going to be left in the the head once we're done with it. So we know exactly how much lead we need to put in the thing to make it to you know 350 355 whatever weight you want it we can hit that but we have to do a lot of math to get there and so then we put the weights in we glue it back together and what's cool is i've had a lot of people coming by the shop lately who'll pick up a putter like wow that's so like just a putter head they're never surprised by the, the the weight necessarily when they pick it up as a putter but when you're picking up the putter head it feels way too heavy you're like how did you do this and they'll as they're holding it i'm always like you tell me they're like I mean, I'll tell you later, but just you tell me, how did I get the weights in there? And maybe one out of every 10 or 20 people will get it right. It's And that's just a craftsmanship of it, being able to line all the grains back up and make it look like it's just this simple, gorgeous piece of people think it's marble oftentimes because it's it's uh, we'll use burl that has really crazy grains to it. Very few people know exactly what it is by looking at it. It's just, which is honestly one of the biggest selling points of the product is it holds a story unlike any other club in your bag unlike most anything at all so when you're playing with a bradley putter and you'll play with it because it it is a gamer it will outperform a scotty all day like we have replaced every high-end putter out there people prefer my putters feel over anything and so when you're playing with it and people like dude what is that they have to ask it begs the question because it's so different what's really cool is People will say, what is that? Well, this is actually cherry from my childhood home. I used to sit in this tree and spit cherry pits at my sister. And my dad and I have matching putters. And these coordinates, that's where that tree is. Like, you know, we, we had to take it down for a fungus. And I, we got, you know, 20-plus years of delicious cherries from this tree. And now I carry my childhood with me. It's my Peter Pan effect. Like, when I'm staring over this putter, that's my childhood. But I'm able to, to play golf with it. Yeah, pretty cool what he can do. We'll talk more about that and the how and why behind these putters in our next segment with brad converse from bradley putters meantime our cutter and buck promo is still in play for about another week until march 31st you can fill up your cart and save 20 percent site-wide with the promo code cb life at cutterandbuck.com he sucks at golf but he talks a good game now, back to Slice with Brian Bushlack. Back with Brad Converse from Bradley Putters. and These things are definitely works of art. They're all unique, but they are not meant to collect dust in your display case. They're very playable. And for many who have made the investment from an artistic standpoint, the Bradley Putter is now in the bag, and it's the favorite. What's the feel like? And you know, we can't convey that, I guess, in a podcast, but let's try to do that. I mean, what's different about it? 
Yeah, so reason why it works so well, reason why it feels so different is on a sweet spot hit, it feels like a, a white hot, like a, a really, really soft, buttery feel. On a miss hit, where even just barely off center, it feels more like a harder Scotty blade or something, right? The way that happens is it's all material science. It's all vibrational dynamics. It's what I know. And so when we place the weights inside these putters, they're symmetrically placed, which means that when you hit the sweet spot, there's symmetry. And when there's symmetry, the frequencies are low. And so that is what you're feeling in your hands. You're feeling it's not sharp. It's really soft and smooth. It's buttery. Now, when you're barely off center, there's no symmetry anymore. So it kind of, if you picture you're sitting on a pond and you, you, you have these uh, eight rocks around you symmetrically placed and you were to drop a pebble in the water, the ripple is going to go out. It's going to hit all the rocks at like similar times and they're going to come back and it's going to be really pretty, right? Like you can see just a symmetry there. If you're barely off, it's going to hit some rocks before it's others and it's going to get out of sync and that's higher frequency. So that's, that's what I used to do back in the day. I, was, I would have to figure out ways to create systems that we you know generally we would tune it to certain frequencies that would be ideal for the system but i got really good at doing all that and so when you hit the sweet spot you get symmetry it feels really soft but you don't want a soft putter across the face because you can't you're gonna not hit the sweet spot you're gonna miss it you need to get feedback that you're missing the sweet spot otherwise your body can't do anything about that so you get best of both worlds. You get a, a soft face, which you need to control distance, but you get feel that you normally get from something that will twist too much on, on impact if you, if you mishit it. So it's, it's a best of both worlds situation that comes from the material science, but it's low density wood, high density weights. And when the, the shock wave rebounds off those weights, that's when you get that special effect. Brad Converse, Bradley Putters joining us. Uh, is it fair to say that no two putters are alike, or are you guys so good at, you know, if I said to you, hey, I want two of this putter, right? I like that how that wood looks. Can you replicate that, like, over and over? I mean, is it scalable, or are they so unique that it's not? To a point, yes. So, and actually, we'll I'll do deals for people where you know they get the first putter, the second one is you know they get a good deal on the second one because it's made from the same block of wood often. So it it's you know just easier process for us overall. So no, the, the putters are not going to look exactly the same because they're natural materials and there's a lot going on there. But we can make them in the exact same specs. That's no problem. But each one has its own visual signature. Like pretty much every putter out there, when I see it, I know whose it is, who's got it, uh, the story behind it. It's got its own story. And so when it comes to like, you know, the feel of it, the way I explain it is if you like country music, as soon as you hear someone sing, you know whether they're a country singer. But every single person within that sounds a little bit different. And so every shape we have has a little bit different feel. Some of the, like every different wood that we might use might have a little bit different feel. What works for us though, is you only have one putter in your bag and you need to get really used to it. And so, you know, it's like a duck knows their, or like a penguin knows their chick's call exactly because it's just a little bit different from everything else out there and so your putter like you know your putter exactly because it's got so much character across the face and it it performs beautifully across the face like it from a performance standpoint it's all there but it's that feel it's those tiny little minute differences and vibrations that it will become like a part of you so the business model you're i mean i'm an oregon native so i know right where you're at there in grants pass and would this have been possible even 10 years ago, let alone 15. I mean, you, you know, you've got Instagram now, social media. Fair to say you can pretty much work wherever you want, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, we make the putters in the shop in downtown Grants Pass. I've got Brett Lucas making the putters with me. The social media aspect is what makes this work. You know, it's, it's such a custom product that 
explaining it to people takes time. I have people that are like two years out. They've been following me for two years and they're finally ready to buy a putter because they finally know what they're going to do. It's not, oh yeah, we've got uh, eight models in the magazine this year and we're just going to advertise this. It's no, like there's a lot of learning that has to happen because it is a very special, expensive product that you need to understand before we dive into it. And so I played a lot with the business model in the past year trying to figure out what makes the most sense. I want the putter in as many people's hands as possible, obviously, but how do we do that where they understand what's possible and I make them the best putter possible? So where things are at right now is 99% of putters that I make, I talk to the person on a half hour before we start. And so I go through... Who are you? What makes you tick? What are you excited about? How can we make a putter that helps tell your story? So we spend 30 minutes on the phone talking about that, and and that's how I start every putter. So in scale, I mean, you're, you're never probably going to be a mass producer of these, right? No. And that's not your goal, right? Not at all. No, it... I, I want to tell stories, and stories aren't told on a mass scale. It's I want to tell your individual story. Your individual story can't be told if I'm making a hundred putters for like that individual story. Now, for the or a thousand or whatever for the where I do want to do some mass production, so to speak, again small scale, is for country clubs, for businesses where you do have a unified story to tell. You have. This tree is a really special tree. It came down in this storm. We're making a series of 50 putters that are made with this exact tree that is special to all our members, and it's going to be a gift for the member guest tournament. It's not a retail spend because, again, they're so special. They hold a story. It's a marketing spend. It's a, I really resonate with this idea, the story, and I want people to tell the story over and over. So, like, if you're doing a member guest and you give someone a Scotty Cameron putter, they're going to be really appreciative. Scotty's are great putters. That's a fantastic thing. No one is ever going to ask about that Scotty again. They're not like, where did you get that Scotty from? Like, what? Oh, that's such a cool Scotty. No, it doesn't happen because everybody has them. Everybody's got Scotties. If you have a Bradley Putter and they're like, what is that? Where did you get it? It is asked every time. And they're like, oh, I actually got this at this member guest tournament I was part of. Oh, did you know this tree actually came from hole 13? Or they're out on that course like, oh, just a second. I'll show you. Like, give me two holes. And then see that scar on the tree where that branch fell? That's this putter right here. So... There's, there's room to scale a little bit. We can make these putters, you know, it, we have lead times, obviously, but it's all handmade, but we can keep up and, you know, I can hire more as needed, but, you know, I've got one employee right now. We can, we can keep up really well. And, and I want to, you know, sales teams, you know, like there's certain businesses that, you know, say it's an insurance company that uh, a tree fell on a client's house and they got it cleaned up really, really fast. Like, you know, they, they took care of them really well. Grab some of that wood and now you have an organic <laughs> very organic way to tell your story every time you're out with a, a potential client like dude what's that putter oh this is actually uh from remember that that's that storm that came through like two months ago uh this this there's a tree that fell on this guy's house i'm actually doing a putter right now for a guy who's uh uh hurricane florence dropped an oak tree on his house we're making a putter out of that oak tree for him just one yeah just just one tree fell on his house no just one putter uh, out of that but yeah i mean it when there's these stories to tell, it's I, I want people to understand what is possible, what's and, and that's the hard thing to kind of convey. But people are starting to realize that and say, oh, because again, until I talk to you, I don't know what I'm going to make for you. And so it's it, there's got to be a relationship there where you know at least that I can do something cool for you, and then I know all the stuff that's we can do it. But not even that. Like, there's times where you'll come up with an idea, and I'll say, oh, actually, let's do this. Like, I've never thought of that before, but let's add this material to it. Let's, uh, we made a putter out of a ukulele. Like, wow. a guy sent in his uh, ukulele. It was broken, but his grandpa made it from as a kid. We turned it into a gorgeous koa, like, ukulele putter. And so, again, until I know your story, I can't tell it. 
Boy, I love the process of making these putters. And if you'd like to learn more about Brad and how you can own one of these works of art, visit bradleyputters.com and be sure to follow them on Instagram as well. Great shots of works in progress and the finished product. Okay, next time on Slice, another golf industry entrepreneur will welcome Bobby DeMeo, the CEO of Short Par 4. Thanks for downloading Slice, a presentation of Feedback Media. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Full disclosure, our legal department doesn't allow mulligans.